What is up, beautiful Dynasty Leaguers? Welcome back to the Dynasty Dynamic. I'm your host, Max Cascons, joined by the man who will be on an emotional roller coaster for one of tonight's debates, aka the Run DMC, aka Mr. Dan McAuliffe, and by the man sporting a 100 foot Ethernet cable for tonight's <laughs> show. Oh, I'm talking about at DFF Moose, aka Mr. Mike McAuliffe. And normally, this is the time where I say, gentlemen, how we doing? But we are not doing that tonight because we have a very, very special guest. You can find his written work at Debbie Deep Dive, Fantasy Pros, Yards Per, Breakout Finder. And I urge you right now, pull out your phone and subscribe to the Rookie on the Rise podcast. I'm talking about none other than the FF Sandman, Britt. Welcome to the show, my friend. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Popping my seltzer waters, baby. <laughs> this has been in the works for a long time, and we could not be more excited to get you on the show. Uh, gonna do a little bit of Dynasty. Gonna little do do a little bit of Debbie. We're gonna hit it all. But now I can get to Mike and Dan. How you guys doing tonight? Not too bad, man. We're stoked. This is awesome. Uh, really excited to have a guest on the podcast today. Uh, Britt's coming uh, coming in heavy with the Margaritaville Jimmy Buffett uh, Seahawks hat here. <laughs> Love the look. It's really setting the vibe here today. So I uh, told them already uh, that we are a majority Patriots fans. So we've already uh, kissed made up and, and made sure that we're able to move forward and have a, a good podcast here today. But Britt, stoked to have you here. Uh, really excited to talk some football here. Yeah, man. At least we can say that Malcolm Butler is washed at this point, so maybe that makes up for uh, you right. know some of the, <laughs> some of the bad blood there. But yeah, man, it's great to have you. This is a good way to uh, cap off a good weekend. Had another scorcher of a weekend here in uh, in Massachusetts, so definitely let's get let's get going, baby. All right. Well, well, let's jump in right to the fun stuff, Britt. I can't. We can't even start to frame up some of this conversation stuff until we know who the Sandman is. So I want to start off with kind of just some general stuff. You're all over Twitter, all over the Dynasty world, all over the Devi world. How did you even get into Dynasty and Devi? How how did it happen and how long you've been doing it? I started my first uh, redraft league with some lacrosse friends, soccer friends, um, and all of our like their dads, probably close to twelve years ago now. Uh, and then three, four years ago, I think I found a sleeper, and then I learned what Dynasty was, and I was like, whoa, this seems fun. I'm a degenerate. I want more football in my life. Let's go. <laughs> and so I talked to all my close friends in that redraft league, and I pulled some other friends that I knew um, from college, and I was like, we're doing this. Like, this is happening, so let's just embrace it. And uh, and that was year one with one league, and now I think I'm – is my fiancé around? She's not. I think I'm in 12 leagues. <laughs> don't let her find out oh, i'm so dead if she hears this oh she'll find out when you're spending half of sundays setting your lineups but oh man i tell you what right. our relationship with football is tumultuous she's like is it football yeah i'm like no <laughs> yes. but uh and then from dynasty i got into debbie because i was i was uh angry at myself for my lack of ability to pick good rookies um my worst draft mistake ever was taking Keyshawn Vaughn over um cd lamb which my brother oh, was able oh, to draft no, listen it's all right i can sympathize man we were on the Keyshawn Vaughn train too it happened and exactly. I, happened. I had jalen rager wide receiver one i was like yeah man Woo! i mean i got justin <laughs> jefferson i got justin jefferson later in the draft so like it made it all there up. we go that does make but it. oh my so then i was like debbie okay like this makes sense learn about these guys 
And I was like, this is actually really fun to talk more football and like learn more about them. And there's not really anyone doing this. And then I got in touch with Brandon. And then it just kind of took off from there, honestly. Sleeper was kind of like the epicenter of all this just like interacting networking talking getting people to motivating a dude's like hey man you should write for breakout finder because you like to talk football i was like okay i'll hit him up and he's like let's do i was like all right cool let's let, what the heck right why not right? so i'm mean, just sort of a usual cascade i'm sure in a couple years i'll get into campus to canton leagues um oh, man ho- hopefully not <laughs> <laughs> deeper down the rabbit hole yeah, baby exactly like <laughs> you're eventually scouting 16 year olds and all yeah, that's gonna be wild like, eventually it's like high school football like come on baby let's get some <laughs> oh man sounds like you've been reading dan's 2020 diary with the Keyshawn vaughn jalen rager love. oh god hey oh yeah yeah he can't hurt us anymore he can't hurt us anymore all right yeah, he's been dropped <laughs> yeah he is yeah he still does but you know oh man <laughs> That, that sounds eerily similar to really the three of us on this call and all my other friends that I'm in dynasty leagues with. Like we were in one, then we were in two, then we were in five, now we're in eight and it just spiraled from there. So th- that plays perfectly into my next question here for you, which is just, I like to try to build different teams, right? When you're in all these leagues, when you're in one dynasty league, everybody wants to win in year one because it's the only win you have, right? Um What is your overall dynasty strategy? If you have a consistent one, have you really honed in on any particular type of build you go for over the years? You know, it's tough because I am and was a big running back enthusiast. And I just, there's a intrinsic value for grabbing like the 2020 running backs. Just in general, you can have like three of them on your team. It's likely you're going to do well regardless, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But as time's gone on, I just, there is something innately more beneficial long-term to doing like an anchor or hero running back build, depending on who are your, on like your preferred terminology. Um, So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't do zero RB because I don't have the huevos for that, to be completely honest with you. Um, But if I can grab myself a Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase in round one, and then find myself a running back within the top five, Usually it's Joe Mixon and then just kind of piece it together from there with AJ Dillons and guys like that. I find myself a bit more happy um, with my builds, especially because I just inherently slam running backs late in drafts. So it just makes more sense with all that. That's my preferred style. But honestly, it's just like Bruce Lee and every other content person is going to tell you just be water and find what your preferred, find what your league's not doing and capitalize on it, honestly. Love there it. you go. My my MO over the last couple of years has been just trade out of the first round and read the board from there. Oh, and yeah. I uh the, the producer I was talking about you guys in in the pre-show was uh he told me his like his steps into creating a colossal powerhouse. And like one of the biggest ones is taking is like accumulating picks in rounds five to seven. And oh, so man. like my biggest, my biggest goal now, when I started to do a startup is, is I am trading out and I'm going to have 13 picks in 10 rounds and I'm going to have at least five picks in rounds five to seven. And those teams just, they, they, they tend to do very, very well for me. Yeah. Totally. Max, you, you've said it well before. Like I'm going to let others people, other people make the mistakes ahead of me, right? Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. let them make some stupid picks and then just let the value fall. Um, and it's, you always think it's not going to happen. You always, it's so hard to give away those picks, but it can be fantastic, fantastic value. 
that's that's been the strategy for me i'm in a startup literally this happened an hour ago uh friend first time in dynasty i've been kind of coaching him up on this and he's like yeah i'm thinking i'm looking at Der derrick henry maybe in the fourth or fifth round and i'm like i wouldn't do that and i'm sure he goes earlier sure enough he goes off the board at the 207 so that's what i mean when i say i want people to make mistakes Jesus. in front of me in the draft <laughs> brit's face right now is killing me by the way um well, that, that is awesome context because I think that's going to help frame up the rest of the show, especially when we get into some of these rankings, some of these builds and players we're either giving up on and not giving up on. So we took some questions on Twitter and first time I've ever led the show with a question from Twitter, but I thought this was great when we put it out there. Um, two quarterbacks to talk about here. And Mike, I'm going to give you first shot at this one. Trevor Lawrence, are we giving him a pass? Like, I mean, Urban Meyer's gone. It's August. Travis Etienne's lighting up training camp, former roommate <laughs> from college, Mike. That's right. <laughs> Are we giving Trevor Lawrence a pass and expecting big things this year? I am personally going to give – I don't think that anyone deserves a complete pass for it. You know, you need to put everything in context that, you know, there was times last year where he did not look amazing. But at the same time, we know the situation he was in with um, with Urban and the, the team kind of – he seemed to have lost that team pretty much a couple weeks into the season. So – um, obviously they got rid of him. Their offensive weapons in general last year were just not very good whatsoever. Um, I think that, you know, they did spend a lot of money this offseason. Some would debate how effective that spend is going to play out with, you know, big money to Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, we love here on the show. But um, I definitely, the way that he's been talking in camp um, so far this year, and even when the immediate news about Meyer came out, it seems like a weight was almost lifted off of his shoulders. So obviously... T-Law was the one that everyone was putting their chips in for last offseason. I don't think that there's any reason to completely run away from him at this point because a lot of it was just, you know, simple, poor decision-making that can be definitely mended um, with better coaching, with a, a Super Bowl-winning coach, uh, Doug Peterson, coming in there. So I definitely – I got high hopes for him th this, this season for sure. Britt, I'm going to give you – First rebuttal at this, I'm looking at keep trade cut right now, and there are three notable names in front of Trevor Lawrence right now. Trey Lance sitting at QB7. I can already see you rolling your eyes. Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts. Where are you at on Trevor Lawrence? And in general, you're such an analytically focused person in the space. What type of advanced metrics are you looking at when you're evaluating guys like Trevor Lawrence, basically prodigies from college, right? Mm -hmm. What is none for 500, Dan? What is none for 500? Uh, here's, here's the thing, right? Um, if anyone tells you they can scout a quarterback better, they're bloody liars. Um, you should immediately question everything they have to say about themselves. And uh, while that's mostly hyperbole, it's so tough because unlike literally all the other positions, you have to be really concrete in between the ears, e exceptionally concrete. And so... You know, you're, I had Travis May on the Predictive Measures of Success uh, podcast, which is a part of the Devi to Dynasty channel. And, you know, he talked about a bunch of really important, like basically a, a system, a formula, so to speak, that breaks down quarterbacks that are going to be, have a higher likelihood of success, right? And it takes into account their rushing yards. It takes into account their completion percentage. It also weighs it against... Um, pass at play action completion percentages and things like that and so what you're really looking for analytically is are they a threat on the ground are they having a low touchdown interception rate you know have they had success because 
everything else outside of Travis's formula, I just, I, I don't care. I don't look into it. I honestly am not going to talk quarterbacks anymore in Rookie on the Rise. So after the draft, because it's just, you're, you're, you're losing nine times out of 10 as is. And honestly, it, you just want a guy that is going to give you a higher, the highest floor, right? So that's why Justin Fields was exciting to me. That's why I like Trevor Lawrence. That's why I was kind of eh on Mac Jones. That's why I was really not into Zach Wilson, you know, and that's why I like Trey Lance. And so circling back to the Trevor Lawrence, I think the suburban urban nightmare is finally over. Doug Peterson, albeit a questionable coach, knows how to put together a successful team. And so I think what you're seeing right now is a fantastic discount on what Trevor Lawrence is able to give you. I have Dak over Trevor Lawrence. You know, it's a toss-up between Lance and Lawrence. Really just comes down to, do you think Lance is going to be a moderately suitable passer? Because if he is, then he's going to smoke Trevor Lawrence out of the water. Um, And then I've got Lawrence over Hurts just because I'm... Jalen Hurts makes me very, very itchy on the inside i guess when it comes to dynasty i just i i love him this year and after that i'm just so terrified what's going to happen because those first those first round draft picks in 2023 are just like hey i'm like just dangling over his head they are and like you know it's the one thing that is really uh, harsh yeah like hi so you know and and i people forget jeffrey lawrence is actually a threat on the ground too i Mm -hmm. he um it's tough to think that he is going to be a bust given how impressive that he has been his entire career in football. His first time he lost a game was with Jacksonville ever. So like <laughs> this man, <laughs> so I, I'm giving him a pass that to shorten sweet. I'm happy to give him a pass and take shots on him. I mean, first, first true freshman to lead a college football team to a national title since 1985. To your point, I mean, we even saw some flashes last year, right? We use player profiler, love those metrics. Number four in money throws last year on a team that was just an absolute disaster. You already brought my boy Justin Fields up. We've been keeping the flame lit here for a long time. But you mentioned a name perfectly segueing into my next point because we're talking about this class that came in last year. And Zach Wilson getting a lot of hype right now. He's got the Brees Hall Corvette coming out of the backfield. Shiny new Ohio State wide receiver. Dan, as somebody who was, you know, maybe flipping Zach Wilson with the hype right now, are you still expecting big things this year due to the surrounding cast, or have you cooled off on his general profile? I've I've cooled off a little bit, and my general thought on this is I like the weapons he has so much more than the we- the the person himself. Like I really love Brees Hall, I really love Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson. I've been a little lower on, but I still think he can do very well. And so it's kind of that whole what's the the saying like when um you you buy the frosting on the cake like he's gonna get a little share of everything that's really good um but i am just worried about him as a player overall again i think we've talked about his prospect profile playing against just so much weaker competition uh over byu there so that's the one thing i really start to, to to worry about a little bit and we were talking about uh qb evaluation and how it's really hard to nail totally totally agree and what i like to maybe see in the second season are some of the intangibles and that's where i do read into some camp hype and camp speak a little bit there's kind of word out there that he's like last in first out in a lot of these kind of practices especially the voluntary ones like 
it's I don't know, just something kind of Bo Callahan esque about the whole situation. Uh, to refer back to draft day, like, did his friends go to his birthday party? I don't know, and I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't believe it if you told me. So that's the one thing where, like, I really do like what he has access to. Uh, with all the players that he has on on the field there. There could be some really great moments. I certainly wouldn't like him as my QB1. Could I see him as a valuable QB2? Sure, just because of the access he has to some of those weapons. But uh, I'm not super high on him going into the season. Would be pleasantly surprised, though, in favor of the guys I'm really rooting for. Again, especially guys like Elijah Moore and, uh, and Brees Hall. Man, the dichotomy just between last year's draft class and this year's draft class. I mean, to Britt's point, how many hours did we waste talking about, you know, what Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter and some of these guys could be like if they were going in the first round like they were projected at the time? Meanwhile, last year, you have all this massive talent being pushed down in Superflex rookie drafts by this crazy rookie class. But I thought it was a great point on Twitter. I think it's going to be very interesting. I mean, even you nailed it, Britt, like Trey Lance barely threw any passes last year was barely on the field we have like a two game sample size and then justin fields i mean other than getting dr velas jones with his phd to you know (laughs) add to the team like he's basically just throwing a darnell mooney in the ghost of Allen robinson so it's um it's going to be very interesting for that class but i really want to kind of segue this keep the analytics train running and throw it back to brit the running back position, as you mentioned before, right? So critical to the success, especially with dynasty teams where you can't go to the waiver wire a lot of times. The second stringers, third stringers rostered in a lot of these deep leagues. When you look at running back prospects, both coming out you know, from these Debbie leagues and coming out of the college ranks and in the first couple of years of the NFL, what, what analytics and stats do you really like leaning on that kind of project the long-term success? Yeah, I, um, once again, I already talked about this, you know, my predictive measures of success show on Debbie to Dynasty. Um, but since I'm not going to make you listen to that show and then come back and finish this episode, um, basically what it comes down to for me with running backs is first and foremost is size. They need to be 205 pounds bare minimum, ideally 215. They need to be taller than 5'8", five, 5'9". Right, like 5'10", 210 is, oh, woo, baby. You know, I'm loving that. Um, because when <laughs> you BMI break though. down and, oh, that, exactly, that BMI. <laughs> but like when, you, when, you, when you break down success based strictly on size, your hit rate is, is phenomenal. Because like you just have such a higher likelihood of finding a bell cow that isn't bigger than 205. And obviously, like, if a guy comes in at 204, like, okay. I'm not going to hate you because of that, right? But I'm talking about the 199s, the 195s, the 190s. And sure, you're going to have an Austin Eckler here and there. You're going to have guys that kind of come in and are the exception. That's how these things work. That's life. But size is a huge one for me. I would talk to Jake Estes um, on Rookie on the Rise a little bit ago. It's asking about his model breakdown because he's got this really, really predictive model model that I like to use quite a bit. And a lot of another one was uh, target share for running backs. As we, as we should know, as we all know, as we should be abiding by, a target is much more valuable than a carry. I think Josh Larkey just did a study, and it was like a target is 2.1, like 2.12 times the value of a carry mm. in a full PPR. And like that, even in a, even a standard league, it's like 0.67 more times valuable than a carry. Um, and just because like they're in space, they don't have to run through the tackles, they are being created open, and they are able to 
create more yardage and opportunities with that. So being a pass catcher is important to me. Obviously, you have guys like A.J. Dillon who weren't able to showcase that skill at Boston College. You when you when he ran the gauntlet, you could tell okay, he's not fighting the ball, and really you're just looking for is the it, are you hearing a slap every time the ball hits his hands, right? So like it, that's why I like watching the combine because it it is helpful, albeit dumb. It is helpful in certain very very specific spots. Um, I like to look at backfield dominator rating. Do they have a dominator of over 60 for in their backfield? Basically, are they getting the lion's share, the lion's share of a, of a backfield for running backs? Because believe it or not, running backs that have a huge workload in college and are not injured have a less likelihood of being injured in the NFL than vice versa. I, you, you can look at Antonio Gibson, right? The dude is just chock full of talent. Unfortunately, we didn't see him with a remote, with a remote, a remote workload. And he has had injury issues like throughout his career in the NFL. Not that that's necessarily due to that, but it's just, it gives you a bigger ease of mind. And, you know, there's other smaller ones, but that's, that's really what it comes down to. And for me, as everything, efficiency is exceptionally important to me. So yards per team attempt for running back is a metric that I'm very keen on. And that's literally just how many yards does this running back gain every time a team has a play on the, in, on the offense. And you're looking at at least over two. You want a career average of like 1.85 or higher um, because you want guys that are going to make the most of the opportunities, right? Like that's just, that's those are kind of the three that I look into. And then, oh, draft capital is the other one. I forgot about draft capital. Um, Someone had the gall to tell me that draft capital didn't matter. Um, I wanted to reach <laughs> to the phone and shake them and ask them why they hated their mothers. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I tell you what, man, like, Draft capital is not the end-all, be-all, but it is exceptionally important because for whatever reason, NFL clubs really, really want their higher guys to hit, and so that means the opportunities. And, I mean, look at look at CEH. That boy would not be in Kansas City had he not been a first-round draft pick. It's just, but he's still there, and he's still getting run. And Daniel Jones, Mitchell Trubisky, like you could, literally any position, draft capital is the the creme de la creme of like predictiveness. And so as long as you kind of are meeting those thresholds, likelihood is you're going to be pretty darn good at, at for fantasy football. Well, you led perfectly into the first player we have queued up tonight. Known Antonio Gibson hater, Dan McAuliffe to my right <laughs> in this box right here. Dan, <laughs> I, I have a question for you. I'm pulling up keep trade cut. I actually had to scroll to find Antonio Gibson further down than I'd like. Let's see if you could finally get on board with this ADP. They have him at RB 24 right now. Notable names in front of him are Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, and Ezekiel Elliott. Are we finally getting some value back on these Antonio Gibson draft picks and dynasty? I mean, I'm, I'm going to say at that price, now that you're starting to see where he's falling, like it's, I, I didn't like where he was being taken, right? I, I feel like he was thrust into a situation previously um, that he wasn't uh, able to take on. We've seen that he can't handle that full workload from a health perspective sometimes. Um, you see that they've stacked the team in a way that is not going to enable him to take on a full workload going forward. Brian Robinson is honestly, I think he's going to get a lot of the goal line touches. And McKissick, they literally like stole him back. They clawed him back from uh, the Bills because they were so adamant on keeping him for that pass catching role. So where he was being taken previously, I totally understand where he finished. I am proud of him for finishing where he did, given just the the lack of kind of belief that he had um, 
in so many of the communities before but now where he sits at that value which is basically what we're talking like high-end rb3 territory like he's gonna have some blow-up games i don't think you should be uh banking on him as a lot of people were in the past as their rb1 rb2 but heck if you're getting him for rb3 prices now yeah i'm in like i i don't hate the player i hate the adp right that's the stupid saying that we all say over and over again but i'm in on any player if it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg when i don't fully believe that's where they should be so that's where i'm at with antonio gibson right now uh you're seeing him at that uh value yeah i could i could bite i did not plan on bringing this up but he is sitting one position ahead of james cook and based on everything that brit just rattled off brit i have to get your take on james cook because i've seen him go as high as the 106 in rookie drafts and i just can't get there how are you feeling about james cook oh god okay um i need to take my shirt off for this hold on this is too much i just i got to it's too much it's, it's too hot <laughs> oh! all right so here's the thing all right and i you know it's uh, it's pretty much a staple that I carry the least amount of clothes because this apartment is exceptionally hot. But here's the thing, um, Antonio Gibson, Dan, you hit that right on the nail. He, he is a in between the twenties runner, which is the worst type of carries in the world. And so, at this point, if you still have him, then it's it's not out of the world that Jeannie McKissick gets injured. He's getting older. It's not out of this world that Brian Robinson just isn't good but it's also exceptionally likely that Antonio Gibson just is no longer the weapon we want him to be, although it just takes one play to get a huge huge run. His ADP is great. Uh, James Cook's like fun to talk about, but not fun to actually draft, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> so, like, I have been against Gabe Davis since the inception of Gabe Davis in the league. This year's going to be Preach. really fun. This year's going to be really fun for him. I'm excited. I am. I think it's really exciting I think his ADP is wild, but like there's a likelihood that he can get like wide receiver 26 this year for sure. Maybe even 24. Whoa. <laughs> right? And the reason why I bring up Gabe Davis is because he's the two there. And everyone's like, well, Jamison Crowder's a three. Apparently not. It's Isaiah McKenzie. So there goes that pre or preseason plan that I had all schemed up. But James Cook is not going to be a goal line back. Uh, He's going to split carries with Zach Moss and Singletary. Like, his bread and butter is going to be receptions. And he's a very good route runner. He's very lethal with the ball in his hand. He's by far probably one of the best receiving backs out of this class. But to take him where he is going at is criminally banana lands. Like, you more likely than not will end up in the institution to take him at 106. Just to be completely honest with you, because it is it is not of this world thinking and if you want a james cook then trade out of the 106 and go and grab like kenny gainwell or literally anybody else because it, uh, i like james cook i'm excited to see what he's gonna do i think he's gonna run a lot of routes i think he's gonna be like that second slot position in the bills t uh 10 personnel assuming they still keep that now that dable's gone but I still am not going to take him before like pick 11 in a rookie draft super flex just because like there's so much better talent you can take. And after Brees Hall, like I just would rather not take a running back until the TDPs and Tyler Algiers of the world, honestly. Thank you for saying that, Brett. I'm yep. going to keep us in this <laughs> same zone because Mike sitting in front two spots, like I said before, in front of Antonio Gibson, another one of your favorite players, Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, and man. 
I, I was the person on this show telling everybody to go sell Elijah Mitchell. That was me. We've been there since day one. I blew a thousand fab on him and I was flipping him <laughs> middle end of season. Mike, how are we feeling about Gibson and how are we feeling about Elijah Mitchell? Yeah, I, with Gibson, I think that you guys pretty much hit everything there that, uh, you know, at his cost right now. I was definitely big in on uh, on Gibson this past season, um, drafted him as startup last year. But this the, the warning signs j- definitely seem to be popping off, even heading into the draft a little bit. So I think that where he is right now, I would be in on him. Um, I think that you're going to have a lot of people selling low, trying to get out while before it's too late when he could easily end up floating back up the charts a little bit there. But um, with my boy uh, Eli Mitchell, obviously talking about draft capital earlier, he is not exactly uh, the owner of the best draft capital in the world, six-round pick. Um, so definitely that is the main concern for a lot of people, um, and rightfully so. You know, you see a lot of, especially, you know, a team like the 49ers not being afraid to move on from the guy that they didn't necessarily end up investing heavily in. But, you know, for now, particularly with him sitting in that uh, in that 22, RB22 to 23 range in Dynasty, I think that that is a discount for him personally based off of what we saw last year from him. He In a points-per-game basis, he was 12th among running backs. Uh, I think he did he did end up missing some time as um, you know San Francisco running backs can so often do with seems like their the running style of, of their offense um, you know Shanahan seems to have them really running running some uh, some plays that are higher likelihood to get injured but either way um, I, I just really liked what I was seeing from him as far as um, opportunity share when he was on the field he was number three per uh, player profiler number three in opportunity share amongst running backs last year. Um, he was number eight in total rushing yards, which is where he's getting most of his production because the, one of the main concerns with him is that he is not much of a pass catcher whatsoever. Um, but, you know, I feel comfortable going into this season with him as my RB2 um, on teams. I definitely think that this is a season where if he really starts to pop off big time, I would consider then flipping him if the hype gets too crazy again. But I just think that, you know, now is still a good time to buy him. People are worried about Trey Lance coming in there when I think it could be argued that Trey Lance being a rushing threat could help Elijah Mitchell. Um, And some people are also afraid that he uh, could potentially vulture some touchdowns from Mitchell. But Mitchell wasn't necessarily used um, as a goal line back like crazy last year either. I think he was in the 40s for total red zone touches uh, for running backs. So... I think um, I like where he is right now. I, I, I think that this is a good good spot to draft him because there's always the risk um, that he could definitely be replaced. That's just how how fantasy how real football works, how dynasty fantasy football works. So you just got to be ahead of the curve on that stuff. It is wild to me that two players we've already talked about feel like they have some of the widest range of outcomes for where they're going in startups. Trey Lance and Elijah Mitchell, I think have a huge range of outcomes. Mike, I'm contractually obligated at this point to remind you that Elijah Mitchell averaged 1.8 targets per game last year. (laughs) Thank you. And I did see that Britt, you wrote an article. So I'm going to give you the final word here where you affectionately called him the dynasty community's new Bay. So I'm going to give you the last (laughs) word on Elijah Mitchell here. Yeah, I hate Elijah Mitchell. I'll be honest with you. I am so <laughs> out on him. It's not even funny. Cool. And this is the, and, I love it. And like the target, the target share is a huge reason why, right? Like, I really want to make sure my running backs, especially the top two, are in, are involved in the running and passing schemes of the game. And while you're right, uh, Mike, 
Trey Lance is going to is the Alfred Morris corollary to steal from the Podfather, right? Like he is going to open up lanes for him. However, these starting running backs for the Kyle Shanahan's outside and zone scheme just in San Francisco only start 11 games. That is two games below the average, the league average of top 24 running backs. Not to mention the fact you already have TDP coming up, nipping at his heels, showing more. To be fair, the bet against Elijah Mitchell is just his health. He had a but he already had a couple procedures in the offseason. He was already banged up during the season. The, the 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 San Francisco running scheme just chews them up and spits them out, which is why they spend so many picks on him. For reference, I have him ranked Elijah Mitchell is ranked 34th, running back 34 in my dynasty running back ranks, just because I don't think he's going to be able to hold and maintain a value he's currently at. For redraft, I'm happy to ride with him as a running back too, because likelihood is you'll get like eight to ten really good games out of him. That's awesome. Especially because like his ADPs in the sixth of an of the of a redraft league. But in seasonal, I wrote about it yards per. I just I want to get out on him now. I think at this point, you lost that opportunity. You need to hold similar to a Antonio Gibson until the season. He's going to get a lot of work early, and then you can move him for, for a guy like J.K. Dobbins, maybe add a little more on the Mitchell side to kind of ease that transition on your team. Um, but I, I, I like Elijah Mitchell, what he's been able to do, just the likelihood of him continuing that for years to come and the remainder of this year. I'm just not going to really bet on that personally. To your point, and this is my process with all leagues and this type of stuff, I'd rather get out early and maybe get 80, 90% of the value than miss the sell window and just hate myself forever. So uh, we're running a little long here, which is great, boys. But um, for the listeners and both for me doing the editing for this show, Britt, I got three names here, and I want you to pick one that you want to talk about. Second round of rookie drafts, all you know, kind of beginning, middle, and end here. We got Rashad White, Damian Pierce, and Tyler Algier doesn't even have to be for any particular reason give me one i'm gonna guess rashad white might be a favorite of yours because he was such a great pass catcher in college but lay it on me oh god that's tough ah uh, you know what i'm not gonna talk about rashad white because everyone and their mother talks about rashad white especially because <laughs> leonard Fournette literally said i'm gonna come into camp heavy it's like oh my god he came into camp heavy everything's burning he's like i'm 100, 100 245 pounds again I'm here, yay! Like, oh, wow, it's no big story, okay. I'm going to talk about Tyler Algier. Um, the man from BYU transitioned from linebacker to running back. He is going to own that running back spot in Atlanta. He is not a pa- he's not a great pass catcher. He can catch the ball, technically. Uh, he won't be, though, because they have Cordero Patterson and also Mariota and or Ritter, more likely than not, aren't going to check down that often. But I just, I think where you can get him at in general, there is a, he is like the perfect, like, running back four, running back five on your team that you can plug in in your flex and just get a really solid amount of goal line work because I think that's going to be his main role as well as like the first and second down backs for the Falcons. Um, I like him. I've always liked him. He's got the size. He's got okay speed. We were, he wasn't having the speed we wanted him to have, but we were hoping. But uh, he's a guy that I'm really excited about coming into this year. Just he's not going to have value after 2023 because that running back class is going to just come in like the meteorite that wiped out the dinosaurs and destroy all of the dinosaurs of our running backs we have now. And, and this is this is similar process, right? These guys flash, 
you know, the draft capital is not necessarily there. I also love him. Converted linebacker is just so ridiculous. And I mean, 1600 yard seasons at BYU, the guy definitely can run between the tackles. Um, but those are the guys that I'm taking late second, early third, and then flipping the same way I did with Elijah Mitchell. Sometimes these guys even hit the waiver wire by mid season. If they're not doing anything immediately, let's move on to the wide receiver position. And Dan, I know this is a favorite of yours. Something caught my eye when I was perusing keep trade cut took me a long time to find Mr. Deontay Johnson, a wide receiver that some would argue is in his prime right now. Notable names in front of him, Chris Olave, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, and Drake London's like six or seven spots ahead. Is Deontay Johnson, have we overcorrected? I feel like he was the, the dynasty darling for a while and now he seems to be falling down boards. Yeah, it seems to be, huh? Because, I mean, I, in fairness, it just you think about, like, disrespected wide receivers, what he's been able to do with the ghost uh, and corpse of Big Ben uh, in those last few years is, is pretty incredible, right? Um, but here's the thing. I like him. I, I, I'm rooting for him. I got a couple things that are giving me some pause right now. That contract he signed is a little weird. The two years um, to be able to kind of lock in. It's basically when Pickens is going to, like, start to be up for um, his contract stuff. I really like George Pickens. I think he's going to be pretty uh, pretty impressive as we go along. And mostly, just even off the back of Steelers, no wide receivers. They get the most of their wide receivers. You got Claypool in there, et cetera, et cetera. So I, there are some reasons that give me a little pause when like actively going to buy Deontay Johnson if it's going to be at a little bit of a premium. I love this as an opportunity to be able to get him at a little bit of a depressed value right now because very well he's going to go off and get traded to some other um, team and be able to get some wide receiver one money uh, and be able to really make a name for himself there. So I love the talent. Um, the uh, targets and everything that he was getting definitely helped inflate that a little bit. So you hope that he continued to see that same amount of opportunity with just the amount of weapons that the uh, the Steelers have. But uh, I do feel like he's definitely being undervalued a little bit, and I'm gladly going to be gobbling that up um, with a little bit of a discount, seeing how he's kind of falling down people's boards a little bit. Number eight in points per game last year, right. and Kevin Colbert's track record of picking wide receivers is just outrageous. You will not find a better one in the NFL. I want to go from a current Steeler to a former Steeler Brit, and I want to talk about a player that I'm having such a hard time figuring out what to do with right now. Where I own him, I've been forced to hold, and now I'm trying to figure out if it's even worth buying him. I never thought we'd have this much conversation about a guy with a 1,400-yard season on his resume. But talk to me about Juju Smith-Schuster right now. What are you expecting in Kansas City? Are you buying? Are you selling? Where are you at on Juju? I <laughs> I like Juju. Um, I'm trying to convert myself to be more risk-adverse than I had in the past. Um, mostly because I was, too I was too safe and it limited the upside of my team's. I find Juju to be that perfect mix of safe and upside for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, we're already seeing information out of the early camp saying that Juju's separating himself just with his skill set and his ability. But obviously, the biggest issue with him is his one-year deal with Kansas City. He is like Tua of the wide receivers because he is on this the precipice of being a really, really impressive dynasty asset or a dynasty asset like Kenny Galladay. Because if he gets injured, if he stutters, if he gets outshined by Sky Moore and or MVS, which would be weird, uh, then he's <laughs> going to fall and he's going to plummet because that it will be his death now, even if he puts together better seasons in the in the in, in the past or in the future. And 
if he excels, then he is going to be a top 15 dynasty asset again as wide receiver. Where he's going in drafts, where I was able to get him in the offseason, I was all in because you're just you're pretty much guaranteed to hit that value of where you're drafting him at. And the upside, if he is that underneath like eight out of nine to 10 and with Patrick Mahomes on the offense, it is literally built for yak. There is nothing to be upset about with him. I mean, obviously his shoulder is the only moderate concern when it comes to, when it comes to anything Juju related, but I really like Juju just like I like Deontay Johnson. Like these guys, they aren't flashy. They aren't sexy, but they are going to, give you a really, really high floor for your team with also ceiling weeks. Um, and it's really weird that people think that, uh, that was it Mitch Trubisky is worse than Big Ben. Um, bare minimum, he's the exact same. So go buy yeah. Deontay Johnson. Love it. And so, Juju for that matter. The, the, the Juju sandwich on Keep Trade Cut right now, boys, is a complete head scratcher because <laughs> Allen Robinson sitting above him at wide receiver 38, which to me is a screaming value. I mean, especially if you're a yeah. win now team in yeah. Dynasty. Um, but sitting right below him at wide receiver 40 is Kadarius Tony. And as somebody who is probably the Debbie authority on this show, I mean, Dan, we, you know, you play in one Debbie league, but I'm going to throw it right back to you, Britt. Talk to me about Kadarius Tony. We saw that 190-yard game last year. For me, a guy that just did absolutely nothing at Florida for three of the four years he was there. Where are you at on Tony going into his second year with the big blue men? So the thing about take lock is, is I really like it with some players that are awful, which is kind of how I feel with Kadarius Tony, <laughs> right? Like, oh my God, he drives me uh, so angry because he's so clearly talented. And that's what's so annoying because his profile and all of his metrics are just like, yeah, I, that, yo, boy, I don't love any of that. And, like, you yeah. know, I think what you have to take is, is, like, you have to make that decision with Kadarius Tony. I personally am not going to be a big buyer of him, but, like, in drafts, he is going pretty freaking late. And, like, if he on the off chance is just this yak god that he showed when it was literally just him and guys that were previously like scrubbing down the toilets and like warming the benches to re-catch balls then like <laughs> sure like if that's the reality then he's going to eat um and to his credit he did he was averaging like 6.2 uh targets a game prior to that huge blow-up game so like he's going to be involved he's going to have a role wide receiver 40 is too good of a value to pass up i just his antics and i hate this line of thinking but like I don't know if he has what it takes to be an elite wide receiver. So he's at the guy that I'm a drafted wide receiver 40, let him do well, and then flip him immediately for someone I feel much more strongly in Elijah Moore, a Drake London, a Rashad Bateman, a David Bell plus type of guy. Um, I just, I have a really hard time getting on board with a guy that clearly is having so much trouble with his off the field theatrics, I guess. Fair. Especially since Wandell Robinson is coming for his goddamn job there. Come on. <laughs> I think I saw the Wandell Robinson. There we Yo. go. I need a little bit more support here. At least yes. maybe 50-50 on the Wandell Robinson train now. We'll so. ride, baby. We ride. Let's go. <laughs> Mike, you might get the hardest question on the wide receiver <sighs> docket right now because there's just no easy way to segue this one. Um, I'm just going to read you the fast couple of years. Wide receiver seven, wide receiver four, wide receiver six, wide receiver one in points per game, 
Last time we really saw him healthy on the field was 2020. I cannot figure out what to do with Michael Thomas right now. I need your take, and I need it now, Mike. Uh, I think I think you're going to find that I don't know what the heck to do either, which is why I uh, got out of him last last offseason. I put out a nice humble brag tweet the other day <laughs> saying how I, I sold I Called him. you out on that humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I traded Mike Williams for, for the dude, which uh, – but, yeah, either way, I – I think that clearly Michael Michael Thomas is an incredibly talented wide receiver, um, but it's been three years since we've seen anything out of the dude. They have Chris Olave coming in there where, you know, I think that some of the hype on Olave, I love Olave as a prospect. I think he's going to be great in the NFL. Some of the hype right now is pretty crazy. Pre- people are pretty much pretending that, that MT is just like not a thing anymore just because the injury is still, is still hanging around. But from a dynasty perspective, um, I think – you know, this is the type of guy that I would likely, if I'm still holding him, I've held him throughout all this time. I'm just going to keep holding um, at this point where, you know, I think that there's a huge high possibility that he is going to be able to provide you with solid wide receiver two numbers this upcoming season. But I think that that top 10 upside doesn't quite exist in my mind um, with him. That's not how I view him anymore. I think that, you know, him and Drew Brees, the connection that they had where it, he was propped up by not not saying that you know he wasn't doing well with all his targets but his target to call him a slant boy i was gonna gonna call him a slant boy he's slant boy that's literally exactly (laughs) where i was going slant boy so um i definitely think you know i just if if someone's gonna come calling to pay up to you know buy back into um michael thomas wide receiver one um time then i'm gonna be selling so I think at this point, I all my shares um, of MT are gone, and I am just going to sit back and watch what happens. I mean, the age apex is not a mystery, and Keep Trade Cut is putting me in a time machine to 2018 right now because he's sitting right next to DeAndre Hopkins in their rankings, wide receiver 47 and wide receiver 48. I mean, Britt, he's sitting behind some names like Christian Watson, sitting behind some names like Chase Claypool. Don't I saw you your dare. eyes get really Don't wide. You I need a take on this. Don't pretend that Christian Watson or Chase Claypool are good at football. Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. What are we doing here, people? Ah! Uh, yeah, no, I love that people think that Christian Watson's good. Um, that's really exciting for me. I love that oh, yeah. because it makes Rookie on the Rise um, more popular when I trash him. Uh, I'm pretty sure his family hates me, which I'm comfortable with. I just... I. I want him to be successful. I want him to thrive. I also want fantasy managers not to make colossal mistakes such as drafting him in the first 15, 18 picks of a rookie draft. That is just, oh, the worst. Um, at, at a certain point with Michael Thomas, you just you have to recognize that there is still a likelihood and a chance that he is going to be good again. And is he going to give you top 10 points per game? Probably not. Because that would be exceptional. But, like, the likelihood of him beating his wide receiver 48 tag, I would bet the over if it was above 50%. And at that point, that's, like, what? That's, like, round 9, round 10? There's no... You're not losing there because you're going for upside, and he possesses that upside. So, in Dynasty, it's a different story. But in Redraft, that that dude is just... He is a smoking value there. Uh, and I probably will have him and really hate myself for that when he gets injured again. But, like, I'm hoping for at least one fun game. Like, look, I did something right? good! Exactly. You gotta try. You gotta you try, especially you at that to. price, man. Absolutely.
I'm kind of with you on the Christian Watson train, actually. Like that athleticism without the production just makes me scratch my head, right? Oh, yeah. Like that level of athlete should be producing in the conference that he was playing in. So I want to close this out with a little bit of rookie talk and I'm going to make it the Brit show. Brit, these wide receivers have been tough to detangle. And I mean, you just go on Twitter and it's just a different list everywhere I see it. Who, what's your order for these guys right now if we're looking for the top wide receivers in this year's class? Are we assuming that Traylon Burks can indeed breathe like us normally humans? That's I have to assume that okay, cool. because I named a video game character after him. So <laughs> okay. we need that to happen. Okay. Right? So, so we're assuming his lungs function. It's just a pollen issue, which we kind of all knew, but we're bored, so we're going to make it a big yeah. issue. Okay, cool. Love that for us. Um, you have to put London and Burks one and two. You, you just got to. Uh, they have the size, they have the pedigree, they have the production, they have the profile, they have this requisite size and speed and athleticism. It, they just are the type of archetype player that is going to be massively successful. I'm scared as hell about Traylon Burks, I'll be honest, I really am, because you're going to get a real quick answer if he's good or not this year. And that is really tough for Dynasty, because if he's not good, <laughs> you invested a really high value pick for a guy that didn't turn out to be great. Um, but I mean, the Jalen Rager situation, on you know, our you know, exactly. If he, if he, but like, if he can just be 70% of AJ Brown, you're, you're winning, you, you're winning where you're taking him. Um, I'm not the biggest Garrett Wilson guy. Personally, I don't really see the upside that he possesses, but I think he's more likely than not to be a fantastic wide receiver too. And he's probably gonna be one of the, like, the most consistent wide receiver twos of the class. One of my favorite guys is Jamison Williams. If he was healthy and he didn't tear his ACL, it is very likely I would have just pushed him into wide receiver one territory and said, F*** your analytics. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, I can't because he's injured and the first year of production really matters and I don't know when he's going to come back. So that's my order. It goes London, Burks, Wilson, or Williams, Wilson. Um, and London just, that dude is, he was insane and it's, ridiculous that people hate on him as much as they do but it's also great for me because that means i get him at a better value honestly dan and i were doing way too many shows together at the time where everybody was talking about his contested catch rate so now he's Nikhil harry uh so we lived through that oh, together yeah, that was exactly. a fun period of time i want to hit on something quickly my my <laughs> north star for fantasy just general strategy i love listening to rich rebar and all the stuff that he talks about and I thought he made an interesting point at some point during the draft process where if all these guys have some of their red flags, like why not just take the guy with the best apex outcome, right? What if Traylon Burks is Terrell Owens? What if Drake London is just more athletic Keenan Allen, right? These guys that can just succeed for years and years. So I, I just think it's such an interesting rookie class and it's made it so hard to invest mm -hmm. in the top because we have no mm -hmm. quarterbacks to take the pressure <laughs> yeah. off us in Superflex. So to your point earlier, Britt, if it wasn't me having the keys to the Brees Hall Corvette, I was just out on oh, yeah. this draft class. That was oh, just yeah. how I was personally. But I mean, what if Jamison Williams is Will Fuller, but healthy, like with real hamstrings? Exactly. Which is funny. We've always Which is funny because like he has a new ACL now. You're like, oh, but like, oh, what if? <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, the, the, the premier move is Brees Hall or no. Like, that is the move you make. Just that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the most suitable and successful move you can make anyways. All right. Well, this is my favorite topic that we have queued up for the show tonight. I, I had to dub it the great Kyle Pitts debate of our time. And I'm trying to save people personally. This is where I'm planting my flag. I'm trying to save people 
from making mistakes in startups. I see Kyle Pitts going as high as the 106. I was in a draft today where he went at the 107. Non-tight end premium league, by the way. And I just can't let this go on. Dan, I recently purchased a Kyle Pitts jersey for you. Yes, you did. Because you bought me a DJ Moore jersey, and that was a this nice thing to do for me. You're welcome. Still Should getting Kyle Pitts, the quarantine years have been a weird time. Should Kyle Pitts be going in the first round of startups, Dan? I need an answer, and I need it right now. There's a world I'll take him in the back. I would honestly, I would consider taking him in the back of the first uh, early say. I, I don't think that's outrageous. I seriously think we have someone who is supremely talented, and he's not getting the full credit he deserves for the season that he put up there. Of Since 2000, he is 13th most receiving yards by a rookie between both wide receivers and tight ends. He's the first tight end that comes up on that list. 13th and uh, with Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, A.J. Green, Amari Cooper, A.J. Brown, Michael Thomas, all within that same realm there for total receiving. He got dinged and continues to be dinged for his touchdown rate. Wait, one, come on. You don't have that type of actual production. And then just, the, you can't predict touchdowns. We know that. That's one of the most volatile kind of stats that you have there. So for him to put up something like that, you only have one other tight end who's ever had 1,000 yards as a rookie. And that's Mike Ditka. That's the only other one. Everyone else I don't even think has touched 900. Listen, Jeremy eight. Shockey got close, Dan. Dairy, he got Dairy, very Dairy, close. Dairy, that was Shockey a different did. NFL Absolutely. back then. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it's actually, it was uh, Andrew Erickson. He, he made just a, again, anecdotal type of thing. For the last two years, um, the last two 21-year-old rookies, Justin Jefferson and Juju Smith-Schuster, to average at least 60 receiving yards per game as rookies. Those are the only two until you have Kyle Pitts, who also did that. The next year in their second season, they reached 1,400 yards. I know that's small sample. No, but like you're talking about someone who's been able to produce like that. Their ceiling has not been tapped yet. And we've talked about it before when we look at the redraft side of things. And I, Max, I believe you were on this train. I didn't have time to look back and go through the archives. But we had conversations of would you take a uh, Kelsey in the back of the first, early second to lock down? That was a big down. conversation last it year. It was a big conversation, right? And there's a world where, yeah, you get to lock in that type of like elite tight end, set it and forget it type of talent. Now imagine being able to have that for 10 years. Yeah, you got you to gotta go in and take that risk 100%. But there's a world where everyone's investing in these QBs because, oh, man, imagine being able to have this QB for the next 10 years. Tight ends, they take they usually take a while to develop to be able to get to that place. You're going to be able to set it and forget it for years with this kid if he hits, right? And that is the big question here is can he continue to do what we want him to be able to do? So in my opinion, there's two different paths, right? One is the offense is good with the Falcons in 2022. Not very likely, but there's a chance that things start to get going there a little bit. He has Marcus Mariota, who is his quarterback, and I honestly do believe is probably going to be the quarterback for at least the good majority of the season. Um, I think Desmond Ritter is probably going to go in there a couple. I think they probably got to see what he, they, they have in him if they're going to make some QB evaluations going into 2023, right? Marcus Mariota and Arthur Smith, uh, you had Delaney Walker. For the three years that he was playing with them, he finishes tight end three, tight end five, tight end four. And I think we could all agree that Kyle Pitts is a better prospect and has already sh shown more than anything that Delaney Walker did back in the day. So even if the offense isn't great, I still believe that he has an ability to just get the amount of targets. He, uh, Delaney Walker was getting like 133 targets, 102 targets, 111 targets. He loves to target the tight end. And it's definitely going to be the best one he's ever had. And if the offense isn't good, 
And honestly, I think we'd probably put more bets on that. They're probably going to be a bottom 10 offense, maybe even a bottom five offense. And so if that's the case, look at the QB class that's coming out here. If your one worry is who who's throwing him the ball this one year, you're very soon going to have Stroud or Young who's going to be chucking him the ball instead. So either in this scenario, Marcus Mariota gets his comeback generational story and he actually does pretty well and, and is able to produce with Pitts. Okay, awesome, fantastic. And if he doesn't, then you're waiting one extra year to be able to then have an amazing generational tight end for years to come. So that is my take on the Kyle Pitts scenario right now and why I honestly could see, based on team build, and here's the the, the last qualifier, you probably are going to be looking at a productive struggle team, right? This is one where you have to be willing to know that you might not immediately win in year one, and you're probably positioning yourself and jostling a little bit to have a little bit more of a, of a longer-term plan there. That's where I can see taking them, and I don't think it's outrageous. I do love a, da- a good Dan soliloquy. That was well said. Britt's been <laughs> nodding a lot, so I have a feeling I'm going to get railroaded here. But this was my favorite topic for today's show. So, Mike, I'm going to throw it to you. I want your take on this, too. I want to go round robin right now. Yeah, man. I, I I guess all those points brought up by Dan are fantastic. You know, if tight end has always been a position that historically has just had those guys at the top that if you hold them, you're bragging to your league mates all, all year long about how, you know, anyone that has Travis Kelsey over the past five years, it's just you, everyone's been jealous of that, that person. They can just set it and forget it. No problem. But if we're talking in a startup, um, especially if we're talking Superflex 2, where a lot of QBs are going off the board first there, I can't see myself personally drafting Pitts in the first round. I would much, much, much rather um, grab uh, uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Um, type in that type of situation just because you know it, an elite elite tight uh, or uh, wide receiver in my eyes is just as valuable as being able to have that set and forget um, tight end especially when we found that you know tight end production can be pieced together towards the end of drafts you always have every single year I picked up Dalton a lot of people did picked up Dalton Schultz off of waivers last year you know, not saying that that only one person gets to do that every year, only one person in your league. So it's not like it's this, um, you know, easy to find type of production. But uh, personally, I'm going with the the young stud running back if they're there or um, one of those top three uh, wide receiver assets personally. All right, Britt, lay it on me. You were nodding a lot when Dan was talking. I got to hear what's yeah, on your mind so- right now. Going sixth overall in a non-premium league is probably a little bit too high. I have no issues with that. I would take Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson over Kyle Pitts as well, happily. I think the break point for me is, do I want Jonathan Taylor or do I want Kyle Pitts? And I think what Dan said, first of all, you killed that dude. That was that. If you guys do sound clips, that needs to be the sound clip because that was fun. That <laughs> was art. Um, but yeah. like if you, Jonathan Taylor is going to give you a higher four and a lot is long, obviously, career. Kyle Pitts is going to just wreck mines forever. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that Kyle Pitts is a first-round talent regardless. And in, in, in any tight end premium, he's going to go at I pick 9, pick 10. Because, I mean, I love the 8 and 9 spot in drafts because that's like Chase or Jefferson or, like, that's who you're going to get. It's great. You just let the person choose and you get the other person. It's, it makes your easiest life in the world. Um but I think Pitts is essentially like wide receiver three of the dynasty wide receivers, right? Like he's 22. If you're looking at, I did a study with Pat Firemuth uh, back in 2021 for breakout binder. And I just kind of broke down like the hit rate, depending on round and draft capital and their success with fantasy football. And if you're a first round 
tight end, likely that you breaking out, which he did, is only it only happens if you're drafting the first round. And then on top of that, it multiplies in year two. And like we don't expect anything from tight ends usually by year three, anyways. So the fact that we got a thousand yards from Kyle Pitts year one, the fact that he's clearly going to be heavily involved from the slot this year, which is going to be a huge difference because those small little almost call them a mean word. Those small little dudes that are 5'9 are going to be no match for Kyle Pitts. He's going to be a bully. And I think that man is absolutely projected for a fantastic career, albeit a wonderful year too. And there is part of me thinks that we are going to start to see a bully tight end movement coming up here where people take a Mark Andrews and a Kyle Pitts round one, round two, and piece together the rest. Because if you look at the tight end as a whole, we don't know what Hawkinson is. Schultz is fine. Will he ever reach that top tier? Travis Kelsey's aging out. We don't really have any else, anyone else in the wings coming. You got Brock Bauer. We'll talk about Debbie guys later, but like there isn't. Oh, yes. If you're about to say yeah, Brock Bauer, there isn't a you? heavy tight yeah, yeah. end coming. And like they can come out of anywhere. So I understand that's a silly thing to go, but you gain a tremendous upside on your league if you stack Pitts and Andrews one and two because you're just basically taking that position out for the rest of the league. And they are, you're like, they're, they're wide receivers in the tight end position for you. So I totally think he's a first round draft pick. I'm a big Pitts fan. Um, I'm happy that I can say in the 2021 draft class, I was in on Kyle Pitts. Love it. Yeah. It's funny. I like, uh, I saw some Scott fish, uh, some Scott fishbowl builds that were like that, where they were targeting like a couple of the tight ends mm -hmm. and really trying to bully people. And I mean, that's obviously a different format, right? You have 2,500 teams playing. You need to run into some serious, perfect upside to go win that tournament. And I was having a phone conversation with, uh, with friend of the show, Mr. Westcap the other day. And I was like, we're talking pits tomorrow. And I feel like I have to set the record straight. Like I have just been the constant pits contrarian on this show. Like I've seen him at 101 in rookie drafts. I've seen all kinds of crazy things. And to your point earlier, Britt, like you're just trying to help save people from themselves sometimes, right? If you think somebody's over committing to value and all the positives that you guys have laid out make sense. Like I think he's a phenomenal talent. I just can't get there whenever I look at a board and I'm building my team starting with Kyle Pitts down. And I think that, you know, it's going to take, he's being drafted at his absolute ceiling right now. I mean, 106 is his ceiling, unless he's going 101, you know, and you want to pass up Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, he's going to be playing with a ragtag group this year, even if the, and Brett, um, or Brett, I'm not trying to, you know, steal the 2023 show here, but even if the Bryce Youngs, the CJ Strouds, these guys come in, playing with a rookie quarterback historically drags down the production of the tight end position. So, it's just such a heavy investment. Dan, to your point, if you are a productive struggle team and you want to put together a plan to win maybe 2023, start to be competitive 2024 and beyond, you're the guy that's playing in the championship every year. I can totally see it. I just, I see so many people that are going with win now builds, taking Kyle Pitts early. And in general, you know, I think the, the way a lot of people look at some of these tight end things is it's like value over replacement, right? Kyle Pitts offers phenomenal leverage at these positions. But when you look at these values of a replacement, whether it's for quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver, it just doesn't factor in the opportunity cost. And, you know, I was listening to some, some people talking like on Sharp Football, just about the baseline of tight end production is drafted so much later in startups than the baseline of running back production, wide receiver production, quarterback production. So for me personally, I would go with Mike. Like I'm trying to dumpster dive. I historically just punt that position and try to find the tight end five or six that year. 
and be strong at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. So ultimately need to set the record straight, though. I think Kyle Pitts is a phenomenal talent. I might be take comfortable taking him at the end of the second round, but like ideally, so I'm looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm never gonna get him. Hey, I got him. I got him at like 108 in a rookie draft last year, and that's probably the only share fair. I'll ever get. That is very okay, fair. but I am looking to lock up to Britt's point. Quarterbacks in those mid rounds, like Zach Wilson, could be off your roster in two years. Give me that quarterback or cheat zone, you know, cheat code running back in the first round, and then maybe you can get me on board with the Kyle Pitts hype train. But I think. Overall, we're Kyle Pitts fans. I'm not comfortable taking him there, but it sounds like you guys are, which I, I have to use the wisdom of the crowd to my advantage, and uh, we, we will see. It's going to be an interesting couple years for the Kyle Pitts experiment. For sure. So I want to quickly, because I am the bargain bin shopper, talk <laughs> about some cheap tight ends. And Britt, in general, uh, I've brought this up for, I think, every, every position group we've done so far. If you are going into the bargain bin, what analytics do you like to lean on to try to find some of these breakout tight ends? Or like you said, they can come from everywhere. So what numbers are you typically looking at? With athleticism. These guys? <laughs> Honestly, just athleticism. Uh, they need to be sized. They need to be 250 pounds at least. They need to have a height adjusted speed score of at least 100. Um, they need to have broken out in college. They need to have been like a target share of maybe 20% on their team. Those are all really, really good indicators that show you that they are at least likely to be in hits and they're so tough for tight ends because especially in Debbie it, it's a losing it the hit rate for tight ends like six percent and if you factor in just five star tight ends you're like the last five years I think four percent are like ranked in the top 15 or top 10 like it, it is a losing scenario regardless um and you just you got to find guys that are athletic i i love noah fant this year i love coconut this year i love austin hooper this year um hayden hurst is interesting right you want to find guys that are going to be high on their depth chart that are going to be getting within like the top three target tree a top three in their target tree um that are athletic right like uh tyler conklin was an easy one last year because he was athletic because he was going to be top three in the target tree because he was going to be involved with the, with the offense and now he's on the Jets, and unfortunately, that just kind of kills his value a little bit. But um, I, I think the most underrated tight end that I'm most excited about that I just keep holding because I kind of stand for him is Harrison Bryant out of the Browns. For whatever reason, they there love and David Njoku. Um, but like Harrison Bryant literally did everything you could ask of a rookie tight end when given the opportunity. Um, the Cleveland Browns have just shown him their Brown like in return for like that projection. But like... The dude is someone that is cheap. He's on most waiver wires. And if not, then you can yeah. get for a fourth round draft pick. Uh, and I think he he possesses the talent to be a, a impactful tight end if the if that golden road lines up for him. So a name that I had Cole Komet down here as somebody, so I'm glad you're on board the Cole Komet experiment. Um, somebody you didn't mention, which we took in the Scott Fishbowl, and I also love from a dynasty perspective, Keep Trade Cut has a Kui Boonham at tight end 16 right now. Trey McBride's in front of him. Irv Smith Jr.'s in front of him. Feels like good value to me. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Albert O, with Tim Patrick going down, that helps him out quite a bit. Uh, I got him ranked mm. 12th overall right now currently. Um, I think part of my analysis with him is that I just I saw people get too hot on him too early, and it usually takes him a little bit to kind of temper down. Tight end 16 is a massive win, though. Uh, they're saying Greg Dulcich is going to be making noise for the Broncos, it's likely that man was a 
is a beast. That is a athletic powerhouse. He was exceptionally productive at UCLA as a receiving tight end. Um, so, you know, it, it is a outside likelihood that maybe they split roles and which would tank both of their values this year. But you, at a certain point, you just sort of have to acknowledge that you're going to miss more than you hit. And so you just kind of kind of cast a wide net and hope you get one. That's why I hate going tight end late because it just it feels like a wasted spot on my on my uh, on my starting roster when I don't do that. Well, yeah, I circled the pit stock. I knew that was going to be my favorite part of the show. But the part of the show that I'm actually looking the most forward to is this part right now, because Britt, you do great work. I've read some of your articles on Debbie Deep Dive and like just, oh, he's got, got a notebook in hand oh, yes, already. Sir. I am excited. All right, let's talk. So this is what I always say, especially people getting new in Dynasty, because Dan's the only one of us that plays in a Debbie League. I don't play in any, but I always tell people that play in Dynasty, you're basically in a Debbie League to some degree, right? Because you have to have some ability. You just, you're dealing with nameless, faceless picks instead of some of these yeah. players. So that's how I've tried to look at it and get better at this stuff. Talk to me about the 2023 class and some of the players you're really oh, excited baby. about. Okay, um, you know that feeling when you're like, when you realize what Christmas is and you're still young enough to realize that like, there's not a really weird dude that comes down and breaks in your house once a year, like that just elated feeling of like excitement and joy and anticipation. Like that is a 2023 class, baby. We got, it is stacked. You have two top tier blue chip quarterbacks right now with the likelihood of possibly three quarterbacks coming down the pipeline, Anthony Richardson, Tyler Dip, Tyler Van Dyke, and Will Levisi. Uh, don't sleep on Devin Leary there. For running back, this is the position that's going to carry this class. They're front-lining Bijan Robinson, who is basically Jonathan Taylor, just with a sexier look. Um, you get Jameer Gibbs that is going to finally get the role he deserves in Alabama, hoping he comes in at 205, please eat a cheeseburger before you weigh in Gibbs dear god <laughs> maybe add a shake and come on baby get there uh and then you got Sean Tucker out of Syracuse who I'm really high on Zach Evans out of was TCU now Ole Miss you got Tank Bisbee which is okay fine I'll like mention his name and then you got a bunch of really really solid guys moving on don't forget Raheem Sanders out of Arkansas the dude's gonna come out of the out of the woodworks but that's not 2023 um the wide receivers, you got two blue chips in Keyshawn Butte and JSN. Now, these guys are actually elite profiles, unlike the Drake Londons and the and the Traylon Burks. Like, these are what alpha wide receivers look like and do in school. Uh, Keyshawn Butte looks like he's healthy for 2022, so we're going to see him play this year, which is really, really important for his value. And then you have a bunch of really, really strong depth pieces at the wide receiver position. And then also, like, they are gifting us Michael Mayer this year, which is exciting. Yes. You know, like... If you like Pat Fryermuth, you should like Michael Mayer. He's coming from Notre Dame, which is sort of like the pseudo tight end U that is used to be, which is Georgia now. Um, there's a little mixed feelings with Michael Mayer regarding athleticism. I don't really care. He's been productive. He's been productive as a freshman. All in all, like everyone said, the 2022 class was busted compared to 2023. They're right. What we were wrong about, what I was wrong about, is that each class holds value irregardless. You shouldn't be kicking that to the side just because they aren't as talented as the incoming class. Um, unfortunately, 2023 picks are essentially unattainable, which is why I like Debbie because you can actually draft the players, not the picks. So like it is okay and easy to stock up. I just did a Debbie startup. I have seven 2023 players out of my eight incoming. I don't know how that's going to look next year. It's probably really a pain to like roster all of them, but that's just how I attack that. Um, I'm really, really excited for the 2023 class. I think there's a bunch of guys that are going to be 
very exciting moving forward. If you guys want to hear more in-depth talk on them, uh, De- Devi to Dynasty, Predictive Measures of Success, Episodes 4 and 5, I think. I discussed like, wide receivers and running backs that I think are going to rise in 2023. Um, I would be remiss not to mention Jermaine Burton's going to go and slam children at Alabama. Josh Downs is going to reignite UNC. Uh, Parker Washington is going to basically be Jahan Dawson for a year and come out. It's going to be really fun. I'm. This is going to be the first college season where I'm going to be out, actually able to watch college football more than like three games a year. So I'm exceptionally excited. Yeah, it's a great class. I'm very excited. I love it. I was the person that, you know, kind of flipping these late 2022 first for 2023 picks. I think that B. John Robinson could start for half the teams in the NFL last year. Um, I, I'm super excited for that class. Let's go a little deeper. Little deeper. This is where my knowledge runs even a little bit more thin. Obviously, I know Travion Henderson, the Marvin Harrison Juniors of the world, but bring the notebook back out and tell us what you're excited about in Yeah, so I'm currently writing articles right now for Fantasy Pros about risers. I just finished my risers article. I'm gonna be talking about my sleepers article next and then do the followers, which I'm dreading because I don't like I, I don't like it. Um, so you have at top of class of 24, you got Trayvon Henderson and Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin. Those two guys are basically locked in. Stan packed the RV undisputed one and two of the class. There really isn't a re- reality that I want to entertain that makes them not one and two. Um, both are exceptionally talented guys. And then you have a bit of a smorgasbord after that. You got Devin Neal out of Kansas, Raheem Sanders out of Arkansas, Will Shipley, Clemson, Donovan Edwards, Michigan, those are the guys that I'm really excited about. Devin Neal is a guy that came in. He's at Kansas, so, uh, but like he comes in, is very, very productive as a freshman. Didn't get a lot of running back looks at high school. We had a talk with his dad, or uh, his dad reached out to one of our members. We got a little more insider information on him. I'm very hyped for him moving into year two. Raheem Sanders is someone who's also going to basically have that Sean Tucker esque rise this next year. People are not really paying, giving him any attention because he's at Arkansas and he was a part of a committee, but his committee member, Dominique Johnson, got injured and have or had surgery during spring ball, which is going to open up basically 30 or 60% or more of the backfield to him. And this man is athletic. He has size. He has pass catching chops. He has just his instinct is already glowing. Uh, the head coach out of Arkansas, I forgot his name, but he was already glowing about how Raheem Sanders is more decisive, making better intuitive decisions at the line. Uh, I think this guy is likely destined to be the running back three of the class. And then like you have a really fun, exciting time with the running backs. Um, the <laughs> It took me a while to get on board with Xavier Worthy, just because like any guy that comes at 160 pounds scares me i like to usually say that if i can bench press for reps your wide receiver weight i'm not a big fan um but like this man is he posted a legendary freshman production it was yes he did that's what i had him down he caught my eye with 900 yards at texas i thought that was one of the most impressive seasons you will ever see from a freshman you have to respect that he is one or two and then you have marvin harrison jr who is basically going to be the next ohio the next ohio state wide receiver because the man is has a pedigree and he's at a fantastic school with brian hartline coaching those kids up and then after that it gets a little fun right um you got a Mika Abuka out of Ohio State. I, eh, 
you know, I'm kind of iffy on him. You got Ja'Cory Brooks out of Alabama. The only issue with Ja'Cory Brooks and JoJo Earl is the fact that, like, they're bringing guys in still, not just running with who they have. I don't think that's necessarily indictment on them as much as it is on everyone else in the, in the wide receiver room. Uh, if I had to choose between Earl and Brooks, I kind of more, kind of like Earl more personally, just because I think he's, I think he's more slotted and suited for the current NFL style. But Brooks is a fantastic player. Um, Adonai Mitchell out of Georgia had a freshman breakup, but no one really cares because Georgia only throws like 400 times in a season. Um, and with Burton leaving, it's going to be Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, and uh, Donai Mitchell. And I'm fully expecting him to take that second step and just be that alpha in the wide receiver room. He has a size. He just needs to hang on to the bloody ball. Um, I did forget to mention Eric Gilbert in the 2023 class. I don't see him declaring just because of that whole issue he had in 2021 where he missed the whole season due to personal issues. He's only got eight games to his to his profile. But if he plays a full season at Georgia and he does what we think he can do, he was basically being comped and called Kyle Pitts in coming as a freshman. And he he lives up to that, to be completely honest with you. It is likely that he is going to come in to the 2023 wide receiver tight end or tight end room and just blow everything away. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for this Georgia team just because those two tight ends are going to be so fun to watch. Um, and then you have 100%. Brock Bowers, who posted a incredible tight end season as a freshman. You don't see that from tight ends in general, especially freshmen. You have to respect that. The issue that I currently am having, as with Bryce Young, is that he they are small. He's 235 pounds. He needs to get heavier. Will he? Absolutely. Is he going to maintain athleticism? I fucking hope. I freaking hope so because that man needs to. Um, but like those are things I can worry about later. I'm taking Jameer Gibbs early because he's good. Is he going to get the weight? I don't know, but I'm not going to miss out on him just because I'm concerned. That's how these things work. Uh, there's other guys in the 2024 class. Oh my God, I almost missed him. Okay. Jordan Addison transferred from Pitt to USC. I'm very excited for that. Yes. Uh, I, I'm, that was Kenny Pickett. I'm weird about Addison. Year. I like him. I sort of don't like him. I don't know. I'm just kind of eh about him. So I usually don't get him, but like that wide receiver room in 2023 is gonna be fun with Quinton, with Quinton Johnson, all of them, but Kanata Mumfield dropped expletive at Akron, Akron. And he is now the wide receiver transfer to Pitt. He is going to, blow up in a major way coming into these next coming into the 2022 season uh he is someone that i strongly recommend people to be eyeing and looking into um and then also michael trigg a tight end out of usc transferred to Ole miss with jackson dark he's someone i strongly recommend paying attention to someone that i think is going to be raising up the ranks quite a bit my content buddy rick at rick at rich adams um refuses to let me get him at a value he's taken him like three or four rounds before anyone else would think about it so it's really frustrating but like that man absolutely is worth a tight end stab later in your drafts which i never suggest drafting tight ends but like brock bowers eric Hilbert, trig and mayor guys that are the only guys that i would take them if you want a tight end um i know i'm missing people but like those are my guys that I just I'm really really excited about the 2024 class. Obviously, we we only have freshman information to go off of, so it's tough to kind of like talk about. I can't yeah. forget the quarterbacks. Quinn Ewers, is he good? We don't know. He has to play a certain amount of games to keep that NIL money he left he left high school early for. 
Texas is either going to be one of the most exciting, sexy offenses of this entire college football season, or it's going to be painful. I don't know which. I'm hoping for fun. I kind of know what it's going to be. Caleb Williams or Khalib, Caleb or Khalib, he's going to do freaking great because he's good. And then Tyler Bucknow to Notre Dame mm-hmm. should not be forgotten. Um, he's likely going to be the quarterback three of this class of Jackson Dart, probably taking up quarterback four duties. Uh, what's that quarterback that is at Ole Miss last year? Uh, Altmeyer, I think, was his name. He actually looks really, really good. So it'll be interesting to see if Jackson Dart beats him out in uh, this upcoming fall practices because things are about to get hectic and it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Bowers. Uh, Like you, I struggle to find as much time as I did years ago to watch as much college football as I want to. But I was in the middle of watching Rivalry Weekend this past year with a few friends, and I immediately texted Dan. I said, Dan, Brock Bowers, on your radar, buddy. I'm calling it right now. So uh, that was awesome, man. And again, you know, we'd encourage, we'll put links to uh, to all the sites in the show description and everything, anything you want to feature there. Um, Like I said, in these dynasty leagues, like you have to know who's coming down talent wise. You have to be able to understand what the value of some of these picks might be. We are already over an hour 20. So I want to get to some quick listener questions and then get out of here. I'm just going to go rapid fire for you, Britt. This one came from Chris Nicholson on Twitter. Acres or ETN this year? ETN. All right. What about long term? ETN. I love Acres <laughs> like so much, it. and it hurts me to say this, but, like, I am really concerned about his target share. And yeah. Yeah. it's just, you know, he's going to be a great running back, but I he's not going to be as good as ETN's 75 targets. This this one falls into the uh, humble brag tweet category for sure, uh, and it's a little bit long. So it, I think there's pretty much some theory stuff we're trying to get here. Coming off two dynasty championships in a four-year span, do you feel it's optimal to ride out aging veterans like Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Eckler, and Fournette as long as you're in contention, or do you look get to get value from them before the production falls off completely? Yes. Because both things are right, right? Like, <laughs> don't ever take yourself out of contention unless you need to. Like, that is the stupidest thing you can do. Uh, move DeAndre Hopkins now because there's no reason. Just do it. We are seeing he's declining. I get it. Move him. Devontae Adams, I moved him two years ago, which apparently was not a year early. It was two and a half, three years early. So, oh, God. Got a great package with it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Would have won. Happens. Would have won much easier <laughs> exactly. last year had I not been for Devontae Adams on my Ooh. team. Um, so <laughs> you need. It's tough. I, I like to get older at my wide receivers and my running backs, obviously. But having Fournette and having Eckler, they are going to be excess, exceptionally fantastic this year. So sure, you can pivot off Eckler and Fournette in season if you really want to. But like, you have to think: Does it matter? What matters more to you, winning again this year with older guys or looking really, really good for 2023? Because that's really what it comes down to. We as a community are pushing too hard into the productive struggle and we're leaving a lot of opportunity for the guys like Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas and all those older dudes. And there's just mining value. So, yeah, you kind of have to get a little sexy with it later in your seat, later in your dynasty uh, careers in that league to get out of that hole you're digging yourself into a little bit. But as long as you hold on to your picks, you're going to be able to kind of flip those out. 
I would tell him if he's won two in the last four, he's probably going to win again this year if those are his four mainstays. So I'd hold him, honestly. Move DeAndre Hopkins and see if you can get yourself a Hollywood Brown or someone like that. I don't know. Elijah Moore seems like someone you may be able to get adding on a third or something like that. Um, Grab these guys that are going to be kind of in that sketchy area before you really know because what you're going to do is you're going to get a lot more opportunity and you just want to buy early right obviously you don't want to have to pay sticker price for them uh i think you need to be looking at the wide receivers like jamison william and david bell that are already injured as rookies because you're going to get a discount on them moving into next year and that's how you stay young will also still compete also grab paris campbell Yes, thank you for saying that. Yes, uh, yes, sir. You've mentioned, I didn't have this on here, you've mentioned David Bell a couple times. Dan and I have been burned by that Tyler Johnson, Tylen Wallace, ultra producer, but never got the draft capital. You in on David yeah, Bell? Yeah, you know, Tylen Wallace, I'm convinced now, Jacob Sanderson convinced me. I think it was an ACL for him that sapped him because that man is just a, he was phenomenal at Oklahoma State. And it's right? so sad to see him where he's at now. I hope he'll be able to get back. I just, I think that's what it was, the ACL injuries. But David Bell, I don't really care that he's as unathletic as he is. I mean, it sucks because it takes away from his upside a little bit. But, like, you don't do what you did in college and be awful. And I think what we were seeing prior to that injury is he was starting to show, like, hey, David Bell is actually really good, guys. Like, this isn't that surprising. Oh, my gosh. He got day two draft capital. I don't care it was pick 91 or 99, whatever it was. I don't care. It was day two draft capital. That matters. And so people are going to forget – People are going to see like Donovan Peoples-Jones do something good or like whoever they're going to run out there with. And David Bell is going to be really, really cheap. And then you can go. I just put out a tweet. I was like, ask the oh, ask the manager that has David Bell how they feel. Wait. Ask again in five weeks. See if there's a value change and wait. And then just before the trade deadline, assuming they're a contender or not, acquire David Bell by giving him an older player. You will be happy. Deshaun Watson... I'm not touching that, but he's going to have a quarterback that is good, unfortunately, in 2023, and David Bell is going to be benefiting. And someone said that David Bell is not the type of wide receiver that Watson likes. I don't know what that means. I don't think that's actual, like, I don't understand that line of logic because what quarterbacks like are good players and David Bell's good. So don't be afraid of him. That's my spiel on David Bell. He's, he's, he's a killer. He's a killer. Uh, Two rapid-fire ones to get you out here, Britt. Who is your most rostered player in Dynasty? I think my most owned player, more likely than not, is going to be Jalen Hurts or Deontay Johnson. Um, I am currently trying to defest from Jalen Hurts in my Dynasty leagues, but he's been treating me exceptionally well. And, well, David John- or Deontay Johnson is just really, really sexy, and I like that. I like winning, and I like Deontay Johnson helping me win. There you go. See earlier in the show. All right, last one. We'll get you out of here, buddy. I need one bold prediction for the season. This is kind of how we do it, okay? So I want something, you know, not impossible, but I want something that's not a slam dunk either. Right down the middle, Britt. Last pitch of the session. Lay it on me. Justin Jefferson's going to be wide receiver one. Saquon Barkley is going to be a league winner. Kyle Pitts is going to go for over 1,000 yards again. Um and Kirk Cousin is going to be a top seven quarterback this year. Oh, let's Ooh, go. I love it. Position. <laughs> Can't top that. Can't top that. I've been getting a lot of Barkley in the third and fourth rounds of Dude, startups recently, and I, I am liking it. that prediction. It's gonna be it's awesome. gonna be actually kind of silly how um yeah, it's gonna be silly. 
dude, thank you so much for, I mean, we are 90 minutes plus right now. So thank you for all the time. Please remind the folks at home, the podcast, the place you write for one last plug. So they know where to find. Absolutely. You can find my podcast, uh, rookie on the rise. You can find also my other podcast, predictive measures of success by typing in Debbie to dynasty. There's going to be an abbreviation P M O S. That is me. Uh, Fantasy or yards per fantasy is going to be having a betting podcast with my smoky smooth voice on it soon here. Uh, it's going to add to my link tree. I added a link tree so you can click on all that and hear all this. It's a lot easier than remembering these things. If you want to read my words, breakout finder, yards per fantasy, fantasy pros. And that should be it. Going through the list. Yes, that is everything. Uh, thank you guys very much for having me on. I really enjoy this. It's really fun to just talk shop and get a chance to espout my random thoughts and kind of bring them into a cohesive, fun little argument here. So I appreciate you all. This is really, really exciting. Absolutely, man. We really appreciate it. This has been fun. All right. Well, getting out of here for today, this is the Dynasty Dynamic. You stay classy, Dynasty Leaguers. Thanks for tuning in. Milk was a bad choice.